celebration of life because we're going to try to call the whole, cover the whole gamut, right? Um, so with Miriam, we dedicated her to not only this before God and before this congregation, but really to the kingdom and to the life of service. And that's kind of like the beginning of life. Well, this morning we'll also be remembering some old friends. We're remembering Buck and Della and Betty and Jane and Terrence and Marianne. So what we're going to have is I'll probably speak for about seven-ish minutes, I think, by my count. Um, and then uh, afterward, the, the majority of this message portion, what we want to do is invite you all um, to come up and share. Uh, memories that you have of these saints uh, will have their pictures up front or maybe lessons that you learned from their lives as well, right? So we just want to, with, with COVID, um, we just didn't have a chance for all of us to go to these funerals and, and I felt like we as a body didn't really have a chance to grieve together. So the point of this morning isn't just to grieve together, but it's to kind of look at their lives and, and the lessons and witness and, and the, the testimony they, re, they really left behind for us and to share that together. And I think it'll be a wonderful, wonderful service. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. Um, I'll be reading verses 54 to 58. Starting in verse 54. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the glory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you and always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you so much for the resurrection. We thank you that it's not just a core tenet of our faith. It's the foundation of so much of what we believe. So, Lord, we pray this morning that we can live in light of the resurrection. As we remember these saints of old, may we be reminded that they're not only seeing love personified, they're not only feeling your presence and being in your presence and being in glory forever, but they have left behind testimonies and witness for us. Then let these testimony and witnesses of their lives inspire us to be steadfast and immovable, to be focused on living for your kingdom, and to be working to be these same witnesses as we pass it on to the generations behind us. Thank you, Lord, for the resurrection. Thank you for new life in you. And thank you that not only are they in glory with you, but that we one day will join you and them, that cloud of witnesses in glory as well. In your holy and precious name, amen. So 1 Corinthians 15 is one of the meatiest chapters in all scripture. I invite you to read and really spend time in it this week and really just dwell in it. Uh, Paul kind of makes this argument that like the resurrection is not just one of the foundations of our faith, it's the core tenet of our faith. In 1 Corinthians 15, he wants us to know that, first of all, the resurrection happened, that Jesus not only died, but he was raised from the dead. The second thing he wants us to know is that after Jesus was raised from the dead, he was actually witnessed. He walked among us. We saw him. We ate with him. We talked with him. And there's actually people living today who went, not only saw Jesus die, saw the resurrected Jesus, but they're still alive, and they can tell that witness to you today. And, when, and then he, he kind of goes into these two things, right? And you have the rest of the chapter focused on, like, if this is what life without the resurrection looks like. And, and this is what life with the resurrection looks like. And what it reminded me of this week as I was thinking about it is, it really reminded me of, like, being a parent, you know? I have this lovely five-year-old who's really part of my heart, right? I love her with all my heart. But the thing I don't love about her, and I'll say this in public, is that she tends to be a tornado, you know? Like, you'll just be sitting in a room and be like, look at this room all put together and making sense, you know? And she'll be like, I'm going to go change. And then you say, oh my goodness, she's going to go change, you know? Because to change one outfit, the tornado has to hit every corner of the room. 
You know, it'd be one thing if it's like my closet and then in front of the closet, but somehow every square acre of the room must be covered and things must be thrown everywhere, right? And, and so when you walk upstairs, you look at it and you're like, what are we doing? That's how I felt like Paul is saying to the churches here. In 1 Corinthians 15, he's like, what are you doing? Like, do you not know the significance of the resurrection? Like, what are we doing? Because without the resurrection, our faith is futile. What we believe is nothing. What we believe is not only not true, but we have no hope. What we preach is in vain. This new life that we're calling people to, or, or this Jesus that we believe in, all of it is done away with without the resurrection. And then he goes into the point that those who have passed on, they pass on without hope. It's not just that they don't dream of heaven. It's there is no heaven without the resurrection. They have no hope. And if they have no hope, then we who are living have no hope. What are we doing if not the resurrection? But with the resurrection, he reminds us that it's proof that the work has been done and blessed. That Christ is only the first fruits of, of God's promises. That in Jesus being raised from the dead, we have hope of heaven. That the dead not only have hope, they're in glory. That those who, who have gone on will not only rise up on, on the last day, but we too will be lifted up and, and go to heaven with Jesus. We have hope of heaven, not just to dream of for tomorrow, but we have to live in light of the resurrection. Because our hope is that the victory is won. So in our bodies, in our relationships, in our world that looks so much like it's not as it should be, that there's so much brokenness, we have a reminder in the resurrection that there's victory. There's victory over sin and death and destruction. There's victory over all the brokenness that we see. There's victory to be had and to be won. But then we're also, and you get to this verse 58, where he says, in light of the resurrection, my dear sisters and brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you, and he's speaking about moving you from the will of God or moving you from the kingdom. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not in vain. In light of the resurrection, you need to not just hope for heaven, you need to live for God today. In light of the resurrection, you need to know that victory is possible, not just in the world to come, but also possible today. In light of the resurrection, you need to remember that those who have gone on, those who have gone on are not only in glory, not only experiencing God in the fullness, not only interceding before God on your behalf, not only waiting to welcome you when your day comes, but in light of the resurrection, know that their lives were not in vain. And those are those lessons they taught you, those memories they gifted you, that witness they beheld in front of us is what should inspire us today. And as I was thinking about 1 Corinthians 15, I was reminded of my cousin Tony. You know, after I graduated from Messiah, I had a couple of jobs, but then somehow I ended up in Lemoyne. I apologize for everyone who grew up or lived in Lemoyne, but that was not my dream was to end up in Lemoyne, right? But I lived in Lemoyne for a whole year. I was so proud of myself, right? Surviving Lemoyne. But at the end of that year, I got a call from my mother, and, and my, my, oh, she had an uncle who had won a visa lottery, which is exactly as it sounds, a visa lottery, meaning that, you know, as hard as the immigration process is for people who it takes decades sometimes to go through it the right way, it's a long, long process, but they won this lottery. And you know it had to be a lottery because my uncle has six kids, 
And the U.S. government not only accepted all those kids, but put them on the path to citizenship. So this was definitely a gift from God. It was unbelievable. And so my mom, I was like, so that's great. They're coming. What are you going to do? She goes, oh, they're going to move in with me. And I was like, what are we doing? Like, you're a single mother. How are you going to support eight people, you know? And the only thing worse than me saying, what are we doing, is me going, well, you know what? I'll move back home and help, you know, because we'll have two of us, right? But in that two years that they lived with us, you know, it was fun to see um, just it's a reminder to me of how Americanized I was and how blessed I was to not see civil war. So, for example, one of my favorite memories, or not even favorite, but one of my distinct memories is, you know, their first 4th of July, right? And so we're sitting around, we had a big cookout, we're eating, and, and I don't know about you, but in Philadelphia, we don't just wait for the big fireworks at night, you know? Like, some people get started a little bit early, you know? And, and back alleys especially, so I'm used to this. So we're sitting there, we're eating our food, and, and the fireworks are going up, pop, 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 and I'm like running to go see, oh my goodness, look at it. And I turn, and none of my six cousins move. In fact, their parents are stapled to the table. The six of them run and hide under a table. And I looked, and I was like, ha, 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 and I saw fear on their eyes. And it hit me. The reason they're scared is because the last time they heard that pop, 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 literally rebels were outside the door during the Civil War. So this is the world that they came from. And, and so it was fun to walk through and, and navigate, you know, what does it mean to, to adjust to this new world? What does it mean to, that God's called you here? And out of all those six kids who I love dearly, Tony was the one who seemed to, I just seemed to like take the most shine to. I think it's honestly because he was a Chelsea fan, you know, I think that's it, you know. You, you can't play favorite with your kids, but I invite you to play favorite with other people's kids, you know. I don't know how Jesus like that is, but I'm just saying, freedom. But Tony was definitely my favorite. And I think it was because when I looked at him, even though he was much younger than me, I was inspired by him. You know, he was 17 years old, and his goal in life was to be a doctor. And most of us at 17, we want to have a job or a career so we can take care of us, right? But he actually says, I want to be a doctor because I want to learn here and go back home and serve there. And I remember, like, looking at him, I'm just like, you're 17. This is ridiculous. Like, get through high school first, you know? And I, the other thing I remember about Tony, though, is that he loved God dearly. Now, when he was about 17 and a half, you know, he... he um. Woke up one morning and noticed, you know, there was this huge knot in his neck, like literally like the size of a tennis ball. And I remember my uncle saying like, oh, we'll just pray over it. And I remember telling them, I was just like, we can pray over it, but I also think it's a good idea to go to, you know, a hospital? Like, we can do both, you know? But my uncle was, was really nervous, and, and I get it because I personally hate hospitals. To this day, I hate hospitals. There's nothing good about hospitals to me. Like, and if you think it's true, like my doctor, like he has to take my blood pressure twice. Because when I sit down first, it skyrockets, and he has to, like, wait till I calm down and then take it again, right? Like, I do not like hospitals. But I remember we went to the hospital, and so I'm trying to explain what I don't understand medically from the doctor to my uncle and then to Tony, and we're going back and forth and back and forth. And to make a long story short, he had developed some kind of infection, and in the process of treatment, you know, he would go up and down and up and down and up and down. And the week I remember is that when we thought he was going up and getting ready to come home, I was supposed to go to visit him on a Friday. And we made a big deal of it because he knows I hate hospitals. So even though we talked every day and, and texted every day, he was like, oh, you're coming to see me? This is great. Please come and see me. Now, I had friends who lived in Harrisburg, even though I was back in Philadelphia. And, and so I had friends who were just like, hey, you should come down this weekend and hang out. And I was just like, that seems much better than the hospital, you know? So that's what I did. So after I got off work Friday, I called him, and he was a little bit bummed, and I was just like, no, I'll see you tomorrow. I'm coming back. I'm just going to Philly. I'm going to Harrisburg for the night. I'm coming back. I'll see you tomorrow. I promise, right? And I remember going to the hospital, 
I mean, I remember going to, to Harrisburg. So while I'm here in Harrisburg, I'm hanging out with my friends, and my mom's calling me. You know, I look at my phone, and I was like, eh, you know? But you have to understand, my mom, when she wants something, is very, very insistent. So my mom will call you 10 times to be like, where's my red dress? And it's just like, I don't know. I don't know where your red dress is. I've never been to your house. I've never been to your closet. I can't tell you where it is, you know? So after like the 10th call, I was just like, ah, she's probably just worried about something else. But then she called again the 11th time. And so the 11th time, I was like, oh, this is serious. So I remember picking up my phone, and I'm at this concert. I remember going out into the hallway. And, and so she's like, you have to come home now. And I was just like, what's going on? What happened? She goes, Tony just died. And I think that was one of the actual lowest points of my life because I had experienced death before. You know, I, when I was six, my dad was killed during the Liberian Civil War. During the Civil War, I lost friends and cousins and family members. I had been through all that. In my teenage years, I grew up in Southwest Philly, so gun violence is not new to me. I had been through that. In fact, my freshman year at Messiah College, everyone was like, how was your fall break? And I couldn't even muster up the words because in that weekend, I went home and buried not one, but two friends that I grew up with. So I had seen death before. But this was the first death that truly broke my heart. And the reason it broke my heart is because I knew I should have gone to the hospital, and I did not. And I never got a chance to say goodbye. And I knew I could never get that back. And so I'm on the phone. I'm crying. And it's, it's kind of wild if you think about it. Because there's this whole concert with thousands of people around me. And I'm there bawling in the back of the sanctuary. Or I think it's Hitchcock Arena. It's not really a sanctuary. And I remember leaving there. And I don't even know how I made it home to Philly. But I remember then, like, I, I actually say that was probably my first day in ministry because trying to coordinate a funeral for African Pentecostal slash Catholics in America and then also for people back home is not easy work, you know? But I remember we went through that. And, and, and so when we started going through that process, I kind of got into this, like, fast-forward mode, you know? And I didn't think about it. But, but months later... It dawned upon me that Tony is in heaven. That Tony lived the life that God called him to live, and he lived it fully. But the other thing that dawned upon me was that he, even though he was younger than me, inspired me with his witness. Because his witness was simple. I want to love God, and I want to use my life to help other people. And so that's what I want us to celebrate this morning as we think and remember Buck and Della, and Betty, and Jane, and Mary Ann. So what we'll have is we'll have two microphones. I'll be on one side, and Pastor Patty will be on the other side. And what we want to invite you to do is to come up and share some brief memories, or maybe a lesson that you learned from one of these things. Because yes, COVID happened, and we didn't get to go to their funerals. I get that. But I think even more than that is their lives were lives of witness. And that witness was a blessing to us. And if it's a blessing to us, I think it's a blessing we can share because I think in those sharing, we not only remember and celebrate their life, but we get to be pointed to our God who calls all of us in light of the resurrection to live lives of love and witness to one another and for the glory of the kingdom. So I'm going to go down there. I invite you up to come up as you can. We will have two microphones. Um, we'll be wiping them off in between. But I want to invite you to just come up and share a memory or a lesson from any of these people um, that we've lost in this last year. Um, so again, that's Buck and Della, Betty, Jane, Terrence, and Marianne. We'll also have their pictures up front. Um, so please come, come up and share with us.
hear me? Oh, okay. Um, I have two memories. One is for Mary Ann. Um, when I met her, she was just so bubbly and um, she was kind of assertive a little. <laughs> and for me to say that, you know. <laughs> so, but she was, she was just such a lively person. I remember one time, um, I'm like, hey, hey, Miss Marianne, how you doing? She's like, why do you call me Miss? And I'm like, um, I guess it's like a respect kind of thing, you know? And she's like, you know, you don't have to call me Miss. You can just call me Marianne. We're friends. And I, that just made me feel good, like, just because, you know, she was older and uh, she might have knew more than me or whatever the case was, she just still wanted me to feel comfortable around her. And uh, I, I thank her for that. And I, I do miss her dearly. She was such a good friend. Um, my second memory is from Miss Della. Um, she, was, she was lively, too. Uh, so lively that she actually invited me to go to the Mari Povich show with her. And we went to Maury, and um, <laughs> it was like a bus trip. <laughs> and it was like all people that were like her age as well. So like we're, we're sitting, you know, in the audience and stuff, and the people that coming out to tell you to clap and stuff, they're like, you know, this side, you gotta like, you know, look a little more lively. And I turned around and it was like, you know, all, you know, seasoned folks. And I'm like, oh goodness. It's like their bedtime, it was like three o'clock in the afternoon, so. <laughs> we had so much fun at that show. Like, I never in a million years thought that I would meet a bus buddy to go to Maury Ridge at church. So <laughs> that's, that's one of my best memories of Sister Della, so. So I have um, two memories also. One is Buck. Um, he actually lived in Lemoyne, <laughs> 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 which I'm one street over from Lemoyne, and, and there's a lot of good people there. But anyway, um, so we lived pretty close to each other, and every time I'd see him in the lobby, he'd always be, "Hey, neighbor," and you know, it was our little little thing we'd say to each other, and you know, occasionally we'd be walking in the neighborhood and stop and see them, and he was just always a fun man, and um, I really miss seeing him at the door. And um, Della, I never went on a bus trip with her, <laughs> but we were um, in a Bible study group together and, um, and at, at our house, and she was just um, so sweet, and she always brought out um, another view of what we were talking about and such a woman of faith and even as she was going through cancer she would still come and she'd fall asleep and I knew she was struggling but she just wanted to be there and um, so yeah we really miss her too. <laughs> All right, so I have experiences with almost everybody on that screen. So Bear, 
for me was, um, so I had just taken over, well not taken over, I was just given outreach. I inherited from Pastor Cedra. And so the line would go around the block and up the hill. We would be in the CE room and go around. So Bear would come. I don't know if he was driving by, if he knew we were doing ministry. I'm not sure what he knew. But I just know he would drive up and be like, are you okay? You want me to stand here? Don't let nobody take anything. You good? Everything's all right? <laughs> just like, so I felt like a sense of security <laughs> when Bear was there because I knew. And he would show up at almost, th especially Thanksgiving and Christmas. One time he came up to me. And I had just came down and he, telling people you can go and go ahead and pick your toys and pick your hair products, sending people where they can go. And he was like, there's somebody here clearing the shelf off. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> he was like, come on, <laughs> let's go look in her bag. So I just felt that extra eyes of making sure everything was okay, realizing that, you know, I might need some backup. And he was there to provide that. <laughs> then we have Buck. And um, for me, Buck was a uh, source of encouragement. Um, I won't get too personal, but Puck Buck's testimony is that he gave his life at around 55, and it was due to the fact that his wife prayed him to that point. And he would always tell me, don't stop praying for your husband. Don't stop praying. You never know when God's going to touch him. It's going to happen, Carmen. You just keep praying for him. I'll start praying for him, too. Then I will come in. You prayed for your husband? Absolutely. So <laughs> it's just like, so I have that um, encouragement from Buck. Just don't give up, you know? especially praying for Marvin. So now you guys are all tasked with that job. His name is Marvin. You go for it. <laughs> we got then Della. So I was on a couple of worship teams with Della, and she would say, come on, Carm, sing it, but let it out. You got to sing from your belly. Mm -mm. You're not an alto. <laughs> so I had all that of her just like encouraging me and, and using the gifts that God gave me and being able just to go ahead and sing it out, live my life out loud, do it for the glory of God, right? And then we have Marianne. So I never, I never played an instrument. I know how to play my hands and the wild. Those are my two ones. So coming to see, coming to worship um, with Marianne was very particular. She had a certain way she wanted to hear the music. She had a certain way she wanted the monitor to be tilt. It was a certain way we had to play. We had to play it again. You're not doing, you know, Carmen, you can sing it this way. Carmen, you can sing it that way. And then she would come closer to me so you can hear. So she was very particular how she wanted, and it wasn't because she was, it was hard to get along with. It was more because she wanted to give her best to God and make sure that our best was given to God. So those are the kinds of things that I learned from, yeah, those are the kinds of things that I learned from the people up on that screen. One of my joys in the years that I uh, have been here was getting to know Betty Oldham and Jane Mon. Um, they were great uh, pillars of this church, uh, great saints, and they became good friends to me. Um, I have lots of different memories, but one in particular stands out. Uh, Betty and Jane lived together, um, and they they moved from the Presbyterian home apartments in in Harrisburg to the the apartments that the Presbyterian homes built in Dillsburg, which wasn't very far from my house. And so um, I got to visit them probably quite regularly. I would drop things off, uh, CDs from the church sermons and things. I always got to visit with them. And, and we became close to one another. And in October of 2015, when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, 
I went to um, their apartment to share with them um, that I had cancer. And uh, it was, a, for me, it was just this really sweet moment when, so let, let me preface this a little bit. Um, Betty and Jane both were strong, strong, strong in their faith and eager to talk about the Lord. But they also were very, very humble. And so to them, um, I was one of their pastors. And so they were much more, um, I don't know the right word, like insecure a bit about praying with me. So when we prayed, I prayed usually. But on this particular day, um, I shared with them my cancer diagnosis and one of them said to the other, we should pray for her. And one took one hand and the other took the other hand. And these two beautiful saints uh, prayed this really beautiful, moving prayer for me. And I felt uh, their love and their support and their, their faith that helped carry me through that challenging time. So I really was blessed uh, by my friendship with them and uh, miss them tremendously. I can't tell you how many times I drive near where they live and I think, I can't believe I don't get to see them anymore and look forward to seeing them um, again someday. Yeah, um, we were also part of the um, Bible study group of Peggy and Mike. Um, really uh, great and nurturing um, Bible study group. And uh, so it was really nice um, that we were able to get to know Della. And she was always very authentic. Um, and she was a real blessing to our group. Um, yeah, and we also knew Marianne. Um, we were attending a game night that her cousin, Bob Felix, organized, um, I think, almost weekly. And she, she was also attending. Um, and she really liked playing Settlers, and she only wanted to play Settlers. And she liked to play the Seafarers extension, so pretty specific. And so usually the two of us played with her and her husband, um, Luis. And uh, so she would sometimes, or yeah, she would try to find out if we were going to come, because then she was going to play Settlers with us. And at some point we were feeling like, well, you know, we don't only want to play Settlers. <laughs> Because it, it takes a long time, uh, the game. Um, but then I think at some point she kind of stopped coming, and then we were like kind of sad because, you know, we wanted to play settlers with her. So. Good morning. So I have memories of a few of these people here, um, but Buck really was special to me. Buck and I share the responsibility of being usher coordinators for our services, him being for the 9 o'clock and I'm being for the 11. And I can remember days coming in, and he would grab me right away and say, oh, it was so rough. I could only get two ushers today, and there's nobody here. And, and I would say, but you got the two, and you got the job done, and that's what was important. You know, you did what needed to get done. So... Um, 
He always made me feel so welcome, like especially when I first started. He would handhold me and show me every little thing that I needed to do, and I just appreciated that so much because it's kind of scary to take on responsibilities with service with the church, especially when it has to do with the offerings. So um, I miss Buck. I miss his, his uh, smile at the door. I miss him warning me what's going on or telling me who's going to be in service and who isn't because he was good at that. <laughs> Um, also, Della, I can remember being at a spiritual retreat with Della, and I was just floored and amazed at the peace that this woman had inside her and where it came from. It was just overwhelming, and I learned from her to sit, sit still for a little bit, and she showed me how by setting the example. Marianne and I share a couple little things. Um, I went once with her to go to see her play the violin, and that was just amazing. She's beautiful with instruments and what she could do, but her heart was so big, and um, I miss her. I could say something about all of these people, but I think I'll limited a little bit. Uh, Betty and Jane Mon, who were with the congregation for years, <laughs> decades, as you they actually bought a home on Holly Street next to the old close to the old church so that they could be right there, close to that church, and live there until they went into the retirement homes. And Betty was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful cook. And she did a cooked so many Wednesday night meals over the years. And um, you could just depend on her if they couldn't find it. <laughs> Her and Betty, they worked together on it, but she just was such a wonderful cook. And they both lived to be very, very old. Uh, and they're in heaven now, but they, and their service was just amazing. Buck, of course, we always joked, you know, what, together when we came, when I would come in. And um, Della, when she ended up with the cancer, it was so sad. And um, I helped her a few times, and it was just devastating to see her suffer. But she hung in there and was, you know, depending on God and believing God. I don't know if anyone else has anything. I want to definitely keep it open. Um, one of the, the things I realized in this morning that's been such a blessing is to hear some of these stories and, and testimonies. Um, yeah, I think that for us as a community, hopefully this is a reminder of not only um, these people we've, we've, who've gone on to glory, but it's a reminder to pray for their families, but it's also an inspiration to us to teach us how to live now. Um, 
from Terrence, you know, we, we said this a lot in the first service, you know, he used to bring Mountain Dew every week to Pastor Woody. So when I became senior pastor, he felt the need to bring me Mountain Dew. And I was like, Terrence, I don't drink Mountain Dew. So then he's like, what do you drink? I was like, water. He goes, I can't bring water. I was like, iced tea, you know? So he started bringing me iced tea every week. And I think one of the, my favorite Terrence stories is that <laughs> when Bear was in the room, you knew he was in the room. Like he doesn't sneak into anywhere, right? Um, yet one time, Pastor Woody and I were having lunch, and you know we were just sharing love together, and you know some frustrations and things we were going through, and all of that. You know, we we're just like, I mean, we thought we were alone. You know, so it was like at a restaurant. You know, no one was around us. Um, then we got up to leave, and as soon as we got up, you know, Bear was like, "Hey, my pastors." Um, and I'm fairly black, you know, but I think I probably look ghost white, you know, because it was just like, oh, <laughs> wow, you know. So I think we gave each other a nervous look like, hey, nice to see you, you know. Um, and I actually don't even remember what all we said, but I'm pretty sure if it was bad, he would have reminded us. So I feel good about that. Um, Betty and Jane, um, I just think, Jane, I think, went to every iteration of Harrisburg BIC. Um, and I think the, the thing I got from their life is just, I think I've really got an appreciation for those people who've been with us for decades. I think that's one of the greatest joys of this church is people who follow God and who've been through us with everything. But what I learned from them is that, you know, you can not only have a deep, deep faith, but you can lead from the back. You know, you don't have to lead from up front. You don't have to lead with the loudest voice. You can be just as invested, whether it's physically living in the community, whether, you know, Wanda shared about all the stuff they would sow to sell for different causes. Um, there's just, there's a life of faith that is not determined by you know, how loud you live, but how well you live and how well you loved. And I think that's what I got from them. Uh, Mary Ann, I think, was one of the <laughs> two families when I first started who gave me book reports on their kids. You know, when I was a youth pastor, I was like, oh, thanks for the book report, you know? Um, but I think what I learned from her, and actually this was all before I became a parent, was just this reminder that you know, all she wanted you know, was for her kids to love God and to follow God. That was it. And, and I think as parents, we want that too, and we don't always do that the best way, you know, sometimes. But it was just this reminder to us and informed in my thinking that, like, that's all I need for my kids. Like, I don't have to dream them to be great and mighty and all that stuff. Just love God, know God, follow God. Um, they killed my screen, so I know I'm forgetting to. Oh, Buck. Um, Buck, I think, is really embedded into the DNA of this church because one of the things a lot of new people come and say is that I feel so welcome here. And I think he's part of the reason, because when you walked in that door, he would remember you, he would see you, and then he would have some kind of distinct joke for you. <laughs> Usually it wasn't always, you know, it was a love language that you had to learn, you know? Because my first time I was just like, is he making fun of me? Like, is this, but that's just who he was. And I think part of that welcoming was such a gift. Um, who am I forgetting? There's one more person. Della. Um, what can we say about Della? I think the last thing I said in the first service was true, too, is that she has this cancer diagnosis. She's suffering. She's in pain. And I think every time I talked to her that last three to four months, she was always trying to encourage me. And it's such a reminder to us that no matter what we go through, we can be pouring into other people. And I think the thing I love the most about that <laughs> is that now she's in glory. She's got this new body. She's with Jesus, and everything's forever. And what's left behind is that encouragement she gave to me, and hopefully that we're all passing on to each other. So we're going to have one more song. You know, it's okay. We went a little bit later, but um, I'd like to invite up the worship team. As we sing Great is Thy Faithfulness, I want us to be reminded of not only these saints we've lost. You know, in my first 10 years at HBIC, I don't know how many funerals we had, but it wasn't a lot. 
you know? And so one of the things I realized is that in heaven, you know, one of the cool things is when you get there, there's a waiting party for you, and it's going to be amazing. And as I looked at my life, I had people who would be there from Monrovia and Freetown and Abidjan, you know, and, and, and Palisades Park, New Jersey, and Philadelphia. And because we don't do a lot of funerals around these parts, I was like, man, my Harrisburg contingent is going to be kind of low, you know? But one of the things I'm really, really excited about is not just the chance to see these people again, right? But it's a chance that this Harrisburg contingent are right now not only enjoying God, but praying for us. And that they will get to welcome us home. So let's stand and sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness. I'd like to invite up any of the pastors. If you have anything you want to pray for, we'd love to pray for you as well. But as we sing this song, we be reminded that God wants us to, yes, hope of heaven, but live for heaven today by pouring into one another. Let's stand and sing together.
saying strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. And I think that's a perfect summary of 1 Corinthians 15. I think it's a good summary of the lives of these people who've gone on to glory. May their stories and testimony be a witness to you. And may God, who gives us not only the hope of the resurrection, the hope of heaven, but a reminder that he's with us now. That same God that calls us to be strong and to stand firm in our faith, to dedicate ourselves fully to the work of the kingdom. May that strength for today bring hope for tomorrow by how you live and how you love. Our Father and our God, we thank you so much for the blessing of the resurrection. And in the resurrection, we know that we can have victory through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit over sin and death and destruction forever. God, we thank you that in this broken, broken world, you've called us to, to, through the power of the Spirit, bring peace and love and mercy. So, Lord, we thank you for the witness of those who've gone on before. We thank you that as they've joined this great cloud of witnesses, we now have not just a waiting party, but intercessors before you on our behalf as they continue to pray and cheer us on down here. But God, we thank you even more for your son, Jesus Christ, that in his resurrection, we know that we can not only make it through anything, but we know that he can lead us through everything. So Lord Jesus Christ, as we go now, help us to be reminded of not only that the resurrection is true, but that the resurrection brings life. Help us to be reminded that not only is heaven true and being experienced by those we love, but that heaven will be experienced by us one day and even today that we can help to partner with you to do this work here. So God, help us to live lives worthy of our calling. Help us to leave witnesses and legacies that point people to the kingdom. Help us today to love the way you have so loved us. In your holy and precious name, amen. God bless you all. Have a great week.